When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm Phil Kirkbride and today joined by Adam Jones and Chris Beasley as you choose the fact over all the major talking points at Goodison Park and reflect on a much needed, very welcome and impressive win of West Ham United to Goodison on Saturday and that is the focus of today's first podcast of the week. And what, Adam, what, what pleased you um, most about Saturday? Uh, I think you've got to say the the free-flowing attack and football uh, being back. You know, I think there's, there's no getting away from the fact that the pressure was on silver over the international break after you know that run of four straight defeats in the league. So uh, he changed it up a bit, which I think a lot of sections of the fan base were calling on. Uh, I'm not sure he would have changed it as much if he didn't have uh, those injury problems in midfield in particular. But, uh, you know, he had the confidence to play uh, Gomez and Davis in that central role. And I think that worked wonders in the end. I think those two were critical. I think uh, Iwobi playing in that number 10 role was just so much more uh, mobile, dynamic. Uh, and it was helping Everton uh, so much to be able to turn defence into attack and just bring that quickness back almost like we haven't we haven't seen that for weeks you know Everton being able to turn defence into attack uh, rapidly but it'd been it'd been turgid hadn't it you know oh yeah it'd been it'd been slow it'd been horrible just essentially really boring to watch but it was far from it against West Ham you know like I think we have more shots on target against West Ham than we have uh, under Silver in any match since he's taken charge so you know that just shows that you know Everton really should have won that game by five or six goals rather than just the two that they did. But yeah, it was just really nice to see Everton, you know, really dominating the side again. And you know, West Ham are a very good team. Uh, they didn't play well at Goodison Park by any stretch. But I think that was more down to Everton forcing them to play badly more than anything else. So yeah, I think that attacking style of football was really promising to see again. Easy at Goodison mm-hmm. um, with us. Same question to you. What what pleased you most about the performance? Yeah, the, the manner and the way that the the players came out for the manager because it mm. could have been under those circumstances on the back of four straight Premier League defeats. Maybe try and grind one out and um, j- j- just win with some uh, attritional football. But no, um, it, Marco was bold, like Adam said. I think there was an appetite for changes because. Going with the same set of players, the same set of results, those defeats, something had to change. But it could have gone one or two ways. He could have made all those changes and he just couldn't have, it might not have worked. It might have been a, a total disaster. But no, they, uh, all the players raised their game and they looked like they were playing for the manager because I, I don't know just how close Marco Silva was to the abyss. He said it was a must win fixture himself. You mean you can read in to that yeah. what you will, whether he's actually talking about his job being on the line. But I think. If he'd have lost five on the trot, then certainly outside the club, regardless of what Mr. Mashiri thinks, he would have been in, he would have been in trouble. There would have been um, um, alarm bells ringing. So I think the fact that they came out, they really played for their manager and produced what was 
by far away the most convincing display of the season, like Adam says. Yeah. Probably should have won by more. Um, and yeah, just that, that whole way that they it looked like they were a set of players really playing for their manager. How much do we think the, the, that pressure, Chris, I'll stay with you with this mm-hmm. one, that pressure you mentioned about on Marco, how much do you think of it has eased after Saturday? Has it eased? Um, do we do 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 people are now reflecting on the on the pressure that was on him as actually was it was it too much you know was it was it over the top I mean, you know because a win can change yeah, the complexion yeah. of, of a lot of oh, things can't it yeah I think given the set of fixtures Everton had at the start of the season the way they strengthened the squad albeit not with a centre back which they need an extra centre back but um, they've been okay in that respect in that Keane and Minovar's been available but the strengthening they've done over the summer the fixtures they had there was a, a genuine feeling that they should have been in a much better position yeah. at this stage of the season challenging for that European place that they really want to after back-to-back finishes of eighth trying to make inroads into that top six quite a few of those clubs are in a state of flux and this was seen as a big opportunity for Everton this year to do that so given all that and um on going on the back of four consecutive defeats, I think it it was to be expected that kind of um, pressure that, that the, the players were really underachieving. And it's okay; it's always the manager who um, faces the music in those um, scenarios. But the players had to look at themselves as well. Um, they were the ones going out on the pitch, talented bunch of players. Most of them are internationals. A lot of them are current internationals. And they weren't getting the results. It's, I mean, you can forgive a defeat to Manchester City, but all those other three defeats were against teams who supposedly inferior to Everton, not as expensively assembled, not as much talent supposedly on the pitch. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah, it was justifiable, the the the, the rumblings that were going on. But um, of course, the pressure hasn't totally gone away because we want those sort of displays to become the norm rather than the yes. exception now. Yeah. And isn't that, isn't that yeah. the most <clears throat> frustrating, sorry to interrupt, <clears throat> isn't that the most frustrating, frustrating thing about, about the weekend? As, as welcome as it was, as impressive as so many players were and the way they played, and as you say, Chris, they played for the manager. Isn't the most frustrating thing is, where has that been? Why yeah, is yeah. why has it taken a situation where it was a high stakes afternoon, you know, there was pressure mounted, you know, from from outside the football club, as you say. Why had it taken all of that to get that performance when same group yeah. of players, Lodge, you were here yeah. two weeks ago, three weeks ago? That is the frustration, isn't it? Because this is a talented bunch of players. They're a good football team. They should they should be challenging um, at the top half of the the table to so to you see what Brendan Rodgers has done at Leicester City and various other teams who have done well. Okay, we're only a quarter of the way into the, the season, but that could have really set the tone for the campaign that season at Everton finished fourth. It was because they had such a great start and that was able that was helping to build that momentum. Whereas this year they're already playing catch up. So yeah, that was the great frustration. Thinking, well, we've seen this now. Why weren't you doing that all through September? So yeah, that was the the great frustration. And you just got to hope that they can get a sequence of results now because. If they go to Brighton this weekend, we'll touch on that later in the week. But if they, if you don't get another result there, well, not back to square one. But it, all the momentum that's been built up by a tremendous display and result on Saturday, a lot of that would be lost. I just just quickly for, to get your thoughts on, on that. Did you sense an easing of the pressure? Have you sensed an easing of the pressure on Silver <clears throat> among supporters, or, or, or how, how have you sort of uh, the situation? I think I think you've got to say that the pressure has been eased slightly. 
you know, three pointers, three points at the end of the day. You know, we Everton are out of the relegation zone, so you know they, you know, in in that sort of very simplistic sense, mm. yeah, the pressure the pressure isn't isn't really on Silver as much. I thought Silver's like pre match press conference was quite interesting when he was talking well, about uh, pressure and he was saying, you know, the the he's got to use this pressure as a good thing, and he was trying mm. to. Influence that onto his players. You know, he was saying, right, that, like we all share the responsibility for the, the position that we're in, but we've got to use this pressure. You know, we're at a club as big as Everton. Pressure is going to come uh, in periods like this, so he needs to use that in a positive sort of sense. And I think, you know, that did come off at the weekend. You know, I thought Everton played like a team that weren't under pressure. They played mm-hmm. with the sort of freedom that we haven't seen since the back end of last season you know like maybe that maybe that game against United when it was 4-0 you know I, I don't think Everton have played with such freedom since that game really so where, especially where's going the, forward there's a credit for that renewed sense of freedom belong is it is it Marco for for dealing with a very difficult situation still still managing to to sort of um, motivate that type of performance, or is it purely on the players responding for the manager, as Chris said? Uh, where, where do you think the? Well, I, I think it's got to be both. I think just as the pressure uh, was shared between the management staff and the players before this game, I think the credit for this game should be equally shared as well. Because you know, at the end of the day, Marco Silva did change up his tactics somewhat. He changed the personnel. Uh, he trusted in, you know, especially the likes of Theo Walcott. You, you know, would have raised some eyebrows that he was in the starting lineup. Uh, before that game, but I think he was one of Everton's best players uh, by far, uh, and I think that shows you know the kind of faith that the manager has in him. But then it was down to the players, as B said right at the start. There, it, it was down to them to show that they are still there for their manager. You know, it could have been very easy for you know a group of players to down tools in a situation sort of like like this one. You know, four straight results. You know, it, it with. Uh, each pass and defeat, mm. it looked like the light was further away at the end of the tunnel. So it was really, really important that the you know the players could come out onto the pitch and really fight to be able to turn that round. And you know, as B's mentioned there, you know, it's just as important to go to Brighton in the next game and start to show, you know, that this this level of performance now is the standard. You can't be different below that anymore. Uh, and you know, especially away from home, Everton really need to really need to show hmm. that. Um, I like playing this game because we don't have to play it that often, sadly. Uh, who's the best player on the pitch? And everybody has to come up with a different, different <laughs> response. Chris, you get the uh, wow. the uh, the first go, so you've uh, you got the free hit there. Who's the best player on the pitch? I think, given that um, he was playing in an, in a different role, and I'm probably going to take. I've seen Adam's ratings in the weekend, so I'm <laughs> going to steal his thunder. You've, I think Alex Awobi, although he should have scored, he really should have scored. And I think he knows uh, that. Uh, yeah, yeah, he said, hasn't he? He's, he's joked about that afterwards, saying, you know, back onto the training ground for shooting drills. Yeah. Because the most expensive player at the club is, is Gilfie Sigurdsson. He's that number 10. We're saying, oh, yeah, I've got to play Gilfie in number 10. He struggled out on the left in his first season. And when he was playing number 10, he became the main man last season, joint chop scorer with Richarlison. He'd not done it this season. Um, big decision still for Silva to leave him out and so although a Wobi has made in fits and starts a decent start um, at Everton that's mostly been um, on the wings apart from that yep. Carabao Cup game we were at at Sheffield Wednesday mm. so to do so to do that against Sheffield Wednesday's more or less reserved second string is a totally different um, proposition to doing it against West Ham United in the Premier League and yet he, he, he operated very differently in that role um, it, 
it shows it can be done in a, in a different way. The way Gilfie Sigurdsson plays number 10 is t- completely different to the way Alex Awobi plays number 10. I know he plays in that role for Nigeria and um, he's very effective there. Um, so it was a big opportunity for him. And um, yeah, he, he really came through that test with, with um, flying colours and um, just part of that whole sort of fluid attacking midfield around him. Um, they, they, they really uh, look like an effective unit. Adam, sadly, you can't have Alex. <laughs> yeah. um, so who's your uh, your alternative pick for the best player? In that case, I'm going to go for Yanni Mina. I think he's quite easily been Everton's most consistent performer so far this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I don't think that's particularly very hard yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, with the results that we've had so far. But, you know, Yanni Mina came into this season with, understandably, a, still a, a section of supporters who had some doubts over him. You know, he had his... Uh, well-documented fitness troubles uh, last season, and uh, you know he was in and out of the side. You know he showed some real promise. I have to say, uh, to the, the two games against Chelsea and then that game at Anfield as well. Yes, I thought yeah. he was fantastic in all three of those fixtures. So you know he he was showing glimpses of what he could produce. But I think uh, even from the start of this season, he's just settled into this Premier League life so well. You know this is his longest run in the side, and I think he. Really seeing the benefits of that now. Uh, I think Michael Keane might have needed to help him through in the earlier stages of this season, but I think it's almost the other way around now. Mm-hmm. Like Yeni Mina, he just seems to read the game so well. There was a particular moment when it was still 1 0 really late into the game, and Mina made an absolutely vital interception the to stop. the left hand side, yeah, yeah, to, yeah, to stop West Ham uh, looking, looking like creating a dangerous chance. Uh, you know, he's looking like such a danger on set pieces, you know. Had a goal ruled out for something. I'm, I'm, I'm still and, not quite sure what. Answers on a postcard, please, to us and to uh, Mr. M. Silver at Finch Farm because <laughs> nobody, for the life of them, can understand why that goal was ruled out. Sorry, yeah. Adam, carry on. No, I've seen I've seen a lot of replays of that, and uh, uh, still don't know why it was ruled out. But you know, it just seems like a matter of time before uh, mm. before he gets uh, his first goal of the Go season. On, hit it with the stat. Come on, hit us with that stat that you did <laughs> with this morning. It's a belter. <laughs> no, uh, no Everton players have more shots on target so far this season than uh, Yeni Mina. There you go. Oh, but he's, he's stunned. Wow. He's, uh, he's I presume level. most of those are headers. He's level every with, single one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's level with Gilfie Sigurdsson. So, but, uh, but, uh, Dan yeah. Sigurdsson had two on <laughs> against oh, West Ham. Serious note about Yeri, though, when we were talking about this, Adam. All being all being fair, you know, at the end of the season, if you know, if he's if he's continuing at that ratio, and if he remains as much of a threat in the opposition box from corners as he looks like he's going to be, he'll finish the season with four or five goals plus, maybe. Oh well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? You'd hope so. And you know, saw that moment in the second half where he brought the ball out from the back, <laughs> laid it off over to the left wing, and then just continued his marauding run into the box. Very nearly got on. Onto the end of the cross as well, but like I think that just shows the the kind of confidence that he's playing with now. You know, he is so comfortable. You know, Sebastian Haller is a, a massive unit. You know, he started his Premier League life quite well as well. But Yeni Mina just absolutely bullied him. I, th- I think this weekend he didn't look phased or troubled at any stage of the match. And I think you know, for somebody who you know had such well documented issues last season to see him now putting in performances like that and I think he's consistently putting in performances like that as well I think that's so impressive and long may it continue Indeed Honourable mentions of course Andre Gomez superb Tom Davis alongside him brilliant back mm-hmm. in the team Theo Walcott as we mentioned said he uh, he felt young again yeah. and I think that was I think we could see that in his performance Nearly scored the best goal of his career as well Absolutely yeah um, 
and we'll, we'll come on to Sidibe later. And, and obviously, I thought Richarlison had a really, uh, really excellent game there by himself. Um, look, in terms of balance, any did did we meet West Ham at the right time? Were they uh, rather sort of accommodating, if you like, welcome visitors in that respect? Was it almost, the, the, you know, the gods had, had conspired with us this time in terms of West Ham were pretty poor, weren't they? Or did we make them look <laughs> bad? Yeah, I was speaking to Michael Ball about this yesterday. He said, to be fair, yeah, they were poor, but Everton made them look poor. I, I almost wonder in there, with Marco being so adamant about it being a must-win. I know Marco does his homework in regards to um, past records against oppositions, mm. and I just wonder if he gambled a bit there. He looked at West Ham's record at Goodison Park. That was West, West after that result. Now West Ham is another stat for you. West Ham have now lost more games at Goodison Park than any other opponent. Um, 15, that was a 15th defeat and I know they'd won two out of the last four including on the Marco last yeah, season yeah. Mm. but I just wonder if he looks at that and thought mm, we did it without Roll as well yeah yeah we'll do these um, I, I, I don't know they, they, they're supposed like Everton aren't they they're, they're up and down hot and cold one of those sides there's a lot of talent in there but they're perhaps not quite as consistent as they, they'd like to be at times, um, it was interesting, really, if you look at, um, obviously, Declan Rice and the fact that he's one of the bright young things of English football, current England international. And, you know, the way young Tom Davis played um, against him, I think um, certainly on on the day, um, Tom was uh, more than a match for that's, him. That's two games now back-to-back that Rice has struggled against Everton. You know, down mm-hmm. there last season, Adam, we were there, weren't mm-hmm. we? And, and Sigurdsson had him, uh, had him all over the place. And, mm-hmm. and again... Uh, Again at the weekends, I think one of the big misses for West Ham was probably Yarmolenko. He was, you know, he was crucial in the, the, the last time West Ham won a Goodison, mm-hmm. as we all know. And uh, he was hitting a real nice run of form uh, before the international break. Uh, played for Ukraine over the international break as well, well, didn't he? Yeah, and I think the the feeling from Pellegrini was that uh, he couldn't play three games in the space of a week after just coming back right. from a serious injury. So that's why he was left on the bench. I think you know Ever Everton. You know that probably definitely worked into Everton's yeah. favour. I mean, I, think, I mean, you know. certainly I agree with you on paper. Though you'd say, look, who, who are the other two wings? Philippe Anderson and Lanzini on the other side, or was it if Fornals oh, was playing playing yeah, on the other yeah, wing? And yeah. I think you know he's he's struggling to settle mm. into the physicality of the Premier League so far. So yeah, I think in some respects, perhaps the timing of this West Ham game did play into Everton's hands. But you know, but, it, yeah. it, it was still. Yes. It, like, we, we've had so many of these situations in the past where, you know, it looks like things are all falling into place for mm. Everton and, you know, somehow it just all falls apart. You know, it was still down to Everton to Absolutely. be able to play and beat what was in front of them. And I think they did that very, very well. Very, very well indeed. And just, just going back to the to, to Beasy's point about the manager, I'd love the idea that he would say to himself in the week, we'll do these. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. Yeah. That exact phrase. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. Does he change the team? This is is an interesting debate that I've been having with myself. Uh, I was actually speaking to my dad about it Mm. uh, on Sunday as well. Uh, My first instinct is no. when, When you've played so well and won so convincingly, uh, I don't think you should be changing your team because I think especially the one the one area that you'd think he might change, and this is fitness permitting, of course, is 
that central midfield role. Of course. Because, as I say, I think if De- if Fabian Delph had been fit for this game, yeah. I think he probably would have started I think it's along, fair, alongside fair shot, yeah. Andre Gomez. But Tom Davis was so crucial. I think he made more forward passes than anyone else in the Everton setup. Uh, all of his passes were so short as well. He was such first time, just get it out, get Everton up the pitch. And I think that was absolutely crucial to the way Everton played. And, you know, he's... <laughs> He's played so well for England on the 21s over the international break. He seems like he's a player in form. He's playing with confidence. It'd be so unfair to be dropping him for this Brighton game. But on the other hand, Fabian Delft brings so much more experience. I think he's more defensively savvy. If you're going away to a team who themselves are playing with a little bit of confidence as well, I know they got beat by Aston Villa, but they were, mm. it might have been because they were only down to 10 men and they were still trying to win that game when they were 1-1 and down to 10 men. So, you know... Graham Potter's going to set up his team to try and attack Everton. Uh, Good, I'd say. <laughs> absolutely. So, Suits us, you, you, you might need to have somebody who's a little bit more defensively savvy. I, I think it's a really tough debate. I think if it was if it were down to me and I was silver, I wouldn't change it. I think I, th- I think I'd give I'd give it to Davis. Bees in the balance for, in the manager's thinking in terms of. Being fair, and, and, and you know, we're talking about Tom here, a young player back in the team, played really, really well. In the balance between what's fair and, and sort of protecting his confidence and, and, and not just, right, you've played really well, but you're out the team, yeah. and yet also trying to pick the team that he obviously feels is correct for that game. Where do you think Tom, in your, in your, yeah. your hunch, where do you think Tom will fall on this line? Yeah, I would imagine he'll, he'll go with the same team again but what was also got to be taken into consideration is there's actually um, two fixtures next week Saturday Tuesday because of the Carabao Cup game and we can't underplay the importance of that to Everton that desire for a trophy or okay you're at the the whims of how the draws go but you know there's such an appetite now for Everton to at least attempt to have a great cup run so he's, he's also got that at the back of his mind as well thinking um, who's best for Tuesday and how that might fit in with Saturday as well um yeah, you've got to be ruthless at times and you go with who you think the best available lesson is on the day. But after what happened last weekend, Marco might well think, well, yeah, Tom for now, for, just for now, for the next game, see how it goes. I mean, I don't know what Everton scouts have been seeing from Brighton. There may be something in the way Brighton is setting up. I know that um, Potter is quite a versatile coach. He's, he's known he can almost have three formations in, on one match day and just change it around, interchange it. So... I don't know how he's thinking in that respect, but I would imagine that it would be same again um, because if we're going off off the last game, Tom would be there a minute. Interesting. It will be a really big call from the manager, won't it, and see what he does uh, in that respect. But of course, you know, again, in theory and on paper, the 11 that started against West Ham and played as well as he did should be able to do the same against Brighton, even though it's away from home. The problem is, though, like the eleven that started against Bournemouth should have really been enough to beat Bournemouth. Definitely, the eleven that started against Aston Villa should have, as well. Like you know, we mentioned earlier in this podcast, the you know Everton's away form in recent years has just been shocking. Really, it's just so so inconsistent. Like you can you can find Everton putting in a fantastic five-one win at Burnley Mm. one week and then. You know, I know it was against Manchester City, but like crumbling against Manchester City, you know, I think a few days after the Burnley game, we got beat at Brighton. 
as well, as well. so yes. you know it, it it is just so inconsistent and you know Silva's got to find a way to try and get Everton playing that sort of with that sort of freedom that they were playing at the weekend uh, away from home because at the end of the day like we can we can sit here and say oh we want that you know these these 11 players should be getting out there and they should be beating the 11 players that Brighton are putting out but you know at the same time you can look at last night's game Sheffield United against Arsenal. Arsenal never really looked like they were going to win that game, despite mm. having all the millions and millions of pounds of talent that they were going to have on the pitch. You know, you've got to find a way to be able to knit all this quality together. And you know, sometimes it does take a different game plan away from home uh, than it does at home. Sometimes it's just a mentality thing, and I think it definitely really seems to me like a mentality thing mm. at Everton. Like it, it just seems that whenever they go on, on the roads, there's some sort of there's some sort of block there that they need to they need to sit back a little bit more. They can't play with. Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say we'll talk about this uh, later in the week more. But I think my feeling is I want us to go away from home and be, for want of a better phrase, proactive rather mm-hmm. than wait for the opposition to do something, which which is kind of the feel we've had certainly at Bournemouth. That was that, that was really kind of. Um, obvious it was waiting for Bournemouth almost like get let Bournemouth score right then we'll start playing mm-hmm. nah take it let's be more sort of aggressive in that respect I think I think I completely agree and I think probably on on showing that Burnley game as well I mm. think that for me that Burnley game was probably the worst Everton have played this season like as even even before Coleman got sent off, it just, it just never looked like Everton were going to score. That was so slow and like so. There's so much lack of creativity, lack of energy. Like you, you, you can't go into any Premier League match uh, and play like that. Like you, you, you just have to have some sort of increased energy and increased freedom. And I think, you know, I think that's really only credence to the fact that Silver really does need to pick the same team again. Because that this team should hopefully be able to build a little bit of momentum now going into that game. And if they can create like any even slightly closer to that uh, West Ham performance against Brighton, then you know, should have a real chance of getting three points in that game. On that theme, I think we seem to be fairly in agreement that you know the same team seems appropriate and fair to be picked uh, for Brighton, which would, of course, mean no Seamus Coleman again, Chris. Um, yeah. What did you make of Sadibi's full Premier League debut? Been impressive. Yeah, yeah he did, um, dare I say, he was, he was almost like Seamus in his pomp. Um, getting up that um, right wing played um, played um, a lovely ball through for that um, Wobie chance, yeah, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was uh, it was very well. That wasn't the only one. He was he was really um, up and down. Um, it also in his in his defensive duties too, which was obviously <laughs> remains first and foremost for a fullback. So yeah, we know we know he's got qualities. I know he wasn't one of the main players, but he was part of that France World Cup winning squad. So he's obviously been operating with top players for. Long number of times, but it's been uh, it's been an interesting way how he's had to, to settle in. He's had to bide his time. Seamus is you know the incumbent first choice club captain as well now, mm. so he was never going to just be thrown in at the deep end, as it were, in in English football. He had that first start out in at Lincoln City. I mean that was a bit shaky to start with, and then sort of 
blew hot and cold in the Sheffield Wednesday game, but we saw signs of what he could do. He laid on the, the first um, goal with um, yeah. a, a nice crossfield pass there. So he's obviously got it in his locker to pick out a pass when he when he when he gets forward. And uh, yeah, it's, it's impressive as you would expect for somebody of his of his um, caliber. And it'll be interesting now as the season progresses, just how that battle for the right back spot goes on because um, it, it could be a really tough one in the months ahead. Well, I, don't know, I was thinking about this and thinking, and I'm in agreement with Chris in terms of, you know, I think it's the way Sidibe played, you would feel that for the time being, it would be his shirt to lose, mm-hmm. given the, going into into the Brighton game. But of course, perhaps what we haven't talked about or thought about is that the way Marco makes up his substitutes is that actually Coleman may not just only miss out on the 11, he might not have been the 18, because Mason Holgate offers cover at right back and centre half. Mm. Um is Seamus, if he wasn't aware, and I'm sure he was, um, a Saturday reinforced to him and to, and to everybody that Seamus actually has properly got his hands full now with with competition. Absolutely, yeah, and I think he, I think he probably would have been aware of that before Saturday anyway, because you know he, he sees Sidibe every week in training, doesn't he? But uh, yeah, I think Sidibe putting in that kind of display will really hit home to Coleman now. Wow, I, I really. I really can't slip up because you know this this player has got uh, bags and bags of quality. Uh, I think it, the way Marco Silva set up his team, I think it was again to try and help Sidibe as much as possible. I think starting Walcott was probably the best way to try and introduce him into Premier League football because I think Walcott's probably the most I don't want to say defensively minded, but he's he's got a defensive head on his shoulders when he needs to. You know, he like I think there was a moment in the second half where Sid, uh, first half, sorry. Sidibe was caught out of position and Walcott tracked all the way back to make sure Lanzini couldn't put a put a dangerous cross into the box and he, it was you know it was that kind of partnership that I think really helped uh, Sidibe settle in settle into uh, his first Premier League start but yeah I think Coleman will be looking at that and thinking wow he can he can get up the pitch and he can cause problems you know he can get back you know leading up to that pretty ridiculous West Ham corner kick decision. I think mm-hmm. that, that that showed typically how, how good he can be as a defender. You know, he had the pace to keep up with Masuaku, he had the strength to shove him off and uh, see the ball out uh, for what should have been should have been a goal kick or a free kick to Everton. So, you know, he's definitely got all the qualities that Marco Silva is going to want from an attacking fullback. So, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see uh, what James Coleman can do to win his share back, you know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, as Bees mentions, we've got two games next week. Mm. Will Marco want to change it up for one of them? Will he want to try and give give Coleman a chance to respond? You know, it would be, be really interesting. It would seem to a see. natural thing to do, wouldn't mm. it? You know, play Sidibe Saturday and go, mm. look, right, take a breather, Coleman, you're back in. Mm. Interesting. As, as, and I suppose, it, like, you know, we've got two really top quality right backs there now. I think it, it you know, that competition for places is something that Silver's wanted, you know, across the pitch uh, throughout his time in Everton and, you know, he'll be he'll be really heartened to see that sort of competition at right back. I think in, in a similar way he'll be very heartened to see Davis and Delph having that bit of competition over mm. uh, the next week as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see uh, how he tries to set up in both those games. Interesting Indeed, um, we'll look ahead to Brighton a bit further, more detail uh, later in the week and obviously reflecting on uh, Michael Silver's press conference and all the news in between then as well. So, uh, Chris Adam, thank you for your company and uh, thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.